Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. In the wake of the tragic murder of George Floyd, I've been trying to bring some powerful and interesting voices to shed light on uh, on the situation today and give some background as well. I couldn't be more delighted to have uh, Mr. Aaron Dixon on, speaking from his home in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, he is uh, uh, formerly uh, captain in the Black Panther Party. He's been an American activist for almost his entire life. He also ran for the U.S. Senate in Washington State on the Green Party, and also as a child marched with the Reverend Martin Luther King. He wrote a book in 2012 called My People Are Rising, a memoir of a Black Panther Party captain. And uh, for a man who uh, can shed some serious light on what's going on in Minneapolis and around the world today and with the movement, a man who has been there and done that, I want to welcome Mr. Aaron Dixon. Aaron, thanks so much for speaking with us tonight. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. Now, Aaron, tell us about, uh, it was fascinating when I was doing some research, you actually, as a, as a youngster, marched with the Reverend Martin Luther King. Tell us about that. Yes, I did. I was about 13, I was about 13 years old, and uh, Martin Luther King was brought to Seattle to lead a march on redlining uh, that was taking place because Seattle was segregated just like every place else in America at that time. So, um, it was it was tremendously inspiring to meet Martin Luther King and to walk with him and to uh, hear his speech afterwards. When he when the speech uh, when the uh, march culminated in him giving a speech uh, at Garfield Park, um, I somehow made my way up to the bandstand and uh, and kind of sat on the edge of the bandstand and looked out at the audience. It was it was just like this uh, response that I don't know where that came from, but I, I felt that I wanted to protect Margaret Luther King. I wanted to make sure that he was not assassinated because my generation grew up watching assassinations. We watched the assassination of John F. Kennedy and we watched the assassination of Medgar Evers, and we watched the assassination of Malcolm X. So I think in in my inner part of my body, I just did not want to see another assassination. And so I found myself looking out to protect Malcolm uh, as if I could do anything. Uh, but anyway, I after that march and after meeting Martin Luther King, I joined the civil rights movement in Seattle and began to go on, go on uh, marches and protests. That must have been, I can't imagine to actually hear Martin Luther King in person as a young, uh, uh, white youngster growing up in northern Minnesota. Of course, we saw Martin Luther King on, on television and heard him on the radio. And I was so intrigued and uh, so hypnotized by the sound of his voice and the cadence of his speaking, but to actually see him, Aaron Dixon, as a young black man, to see this powerful black leader with the way uh, he, he was so eloquent and such a magical speaker, it must have just been a phenomenal feeling for you to hear that with your own ears in person. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. And, um, 
after after that, I became one of the first black students in uh, Seattle to uh, participate in the uh, voluntary uh, busing to integrate the schools, which meant I volunteered to bus myself across town to an all-white neighborhood and an all-white school. Hmm. Now, what did... Uh can I ask you, what uh, what did your mother and father do, and uh, how big was your family? Oh, well, I had four, uh, four siblings, uh, three siblings, two brothers and one sister. My father was an artist. He graduated from the Chicago Art Institute because we're from Chicago. My mother was a classical pianist. And, uh, but my father was very radical because he, he did march. When he came back from World War II, he saw some atrocities committed by American soldiers on Japanese uh, civilians, which had led him to go AWOL. And when he came back to the U.S., he started uh, being involved with Paul Robeson and Paul Robeson's organizing in Chicago. Oh, my goodness. Another, speaking of uh, an eloquent human being who had one of the greatest Voices I've ever heard, Paul Robeson, my goodness gracious. Did you ever have a chance as a child to meet Robeson, uh, Aaron Dixon? No, I didn't. I, I didn't, but I listened to his music a lot. But uh, Paul Robeson, in my estimation, was one of America's greatest human beings, without a doubt. And uh, incredibly politically active, uh, supported by other uh Great Americans such as Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and Studs Terkel, a case, uh, in case, you know, one of the great uh, disc jockeys and humanitarians from Chicago. I imagine your dad and Studs Terkel must have crossed paths in Chicago at one point. They, they may have. They may have. <laughs> now, when I think about Seattle, you got to tell me about. Uh, we're shedding some light on what it was like as a young black man there. But, boy, you think about Seattle. You've got Ray Charles, came from Seattle, Quincy Jones, uh, who played in Ray's uh, band, and then, of course, Jimi Hendrix. So some great uh, some great role models uh, from Seattle. Yeah. But, but was Seattle very uh, – was it as uh, segregated as we would uh, feel a lot of the uh, towns in the south were at that time? No, no, it wasn't. You know, and I was from Chicago. Our family came from Chicago in 50, I think it was 58, 59. And uh, Chicago was, was one of the most segregated cities in the North. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but uh, Seattle was segregated. Uh, but the racism was nothing compared to in other parts of the country. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, in Seattle... Uh, in 1968, black people in Seattle had the highest home ownership per capita in America. Fantastic. Um, and it was, you know, there were, uh, I mean, black people lived in really beautiful, wonderful neighborhoods in Seattle, which now are all, all uh, have been gentrified. And there's very few black people in these neighborhoods anymore. Uh, but at that time, um, we felt very good about black people felt very good about you know living in Seattle. You know there were problems. There were there was racism. There were police killings, just like anywhere else. Uh, but um, it, it, the racism was 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 nothing compared to 
what it was in Chicago or the Deep South. What uh, was your reasons for your mom and dad moving from Chicago to Seattle? Well, my father became a technical illustrator uh, because as an artist, he couldn't afford to feed his family uh, just doing art, which he really wanted to do. So he first worked at Chanute Air Force Base in Champaign, Illinois, where we lived. And uh, I just found out that Chanute Air Force Base was one of the first places that the uh, Tuskegee Airmen uh, began to train at. Oh, fantastic. Uh, That's a great great piece of info. Yeah, and so anyway, my father got a job offer to work for Boeing, and so uh, we came out west, uh, you know, for him to take this job at Boeing as a technical illustrator. What year was that, Aaron Dixon? That was uh, about 57. Okay. So you were you were just a, a young kid? Uh, yeah. Now, did your mother... As a classical pianist, did she perform out, or was it just great music around the house all the time? Yeah, well, my when my mother was a child, she was a child prodigy hmm. in, in the piano, and so she played. She was playing concerts when she was seven, eight years old. Wow! What? So, but um, go no, go ahead. No, but you know, when she became older, uh, her mother was very demanding, and she just you know, did not want to play the piano anymore. You know, we had a piano at home, and she played all the time, and all of us had to play instruments, but she she did not want to go any any further in her uh, career as a pianist. What uh, instrument did you play? Well, my grandmother, who was half white, uh, uh, half Jewish, actually, she chose instruments. For, she was a very controlling uh demanding woman and she she bought instruments she chose the instruments for all of us and she she chose the violin for me so uh, i played the violin i had a brother that played the uh trumpet and another brother would play the violin as well my sister played the piano did that so what type uh what type of music were you listening to around the house when you weren't uh practicing your instruments what kind my, of father was an, my father was an internationalist, and he was a lover of music. So we, we listened to classical music. We listened to opera. Uh, you know, certain days of the week, we listened to classical and opera music on Sundays. Uh, you know, we listened to a lot of jazz um, and, um, and R&B and anything else. But, yeah, we... You know, my father was a lover of music, which I am as well. I'm a lover of music. I got that from my father. So we were exposed to a lot of different kinds of music, as well as a lot of different cultures, because my father loved people of other other cultures. And it was something that he wasn't able to really explore in Chicago, but in Seattle, he really began to explore that and had a lot of friends, you know, people who were Russian, who were Greek, who were Jewish. That's uh, This is fascinating stuff. Uh, my guest uh, for the whole show tonight, Mr. Aaron Dixon, uh, who wrote a book called My People Are Rising, a memoir of a Black Panther captain. We're going to be getting into his uh, 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 the book, his history with the Black Panthers, and more, and uh, his take on what's going on today in America, around the world, uh, following the tragic murder of George Floyd. 
We'll be back after a little music and these messages. Who will survive America? Few Americans. Very few Negroes and no crackers at all. Who will survive America? Few Americans. Very few Negroes and no crackers at all. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, set two, uh, featuring a great and fascinating guest, Mr. Aaron Dixon, who uh, spent some time in the Black Panthers. He's been a community activist. He ran for Senate, senator in Washington State. We heard a little bit about his upbringing in the first set. And uh, now we've got uh, young Aaron Dixon in Seattle. So now, Aaron, what... Uh, what types of things were you doing in high school uh, besides going to school? You were working on, you, you said, busing to an all-white neighborhood, for one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, well, I was, I, I, was, I was really into sports, you know, the, the violin. I, I, I didn't stay on the violin too long because I, I couldn't, I could not read music. I could never uh, even get close to reading music. And so my parents eventually, you know, took the violin away from me and gave it to my my younger brother. Um, and so uh, sports was my my biggest love. You know, playing football was, was something that I enjoyed more than anything else. So uh, what, I, what position did you play? I played uh, running back and uh, linebacker and uh, cornerback. What? Uh, who were your sports heroes back at that time? Uh, Jim Brown. Oh yeah, Jim Brown. My, <laughs> me too. Brown, the great Jim Brown. And the Gale Sayers, of course. Oh, you know, being from Chicago. Absolutely. I love the Bears and everybody who played on the Bears. Joey Galloway and who my father went to uh, high school with, um, and uh, Buddy Young. Yeah, Buddy. I don't know if anybody remembers who Buddy Young was, but he was one of the great running backs out of the University of Illinois. So uh, those are some of my my uh, sports heroes. Well, it doesn't get any better than uh, Gail Sayers and Jim Brown, right? Yeah. So what, um, when uh, was some of the other parts of your uh, beginning of your political awakening? You saw Martin Luther King when you were just a child speak. You started a bus in the white neighborhoods. Tell us some more of your um, you or your political uh, seeds that grow into uh, Aaron Dixon, uh, who eventually became a Black Panther? Well, most of my political awakening came from my parents. And, you know, at that time, black people and many other cultures have what was called the oral tradition. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the oral tradition anymore. But the oral tradition is where the uh, relatives, grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts, uncles, mothers, fathers, are telling, sharing their stories with you of, of their history, their family history of growing up. Uh, you know, neg- bad things that happened, the good things. Uh, but there were 
plenty of bad things. My father shared a lot of stories with us about when he was, um, when World War II broke out, he ran down to the induction center because he was captain of the ROTC. So when huh. World War II broke out, after watching the, uh, being at the theater and watching the, you know, they had the news at the theater at the time. Exactly. He saw the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor. So he ran down to the induction center and uh, wanted to join, and they told him, we don't take boys like you. Hmm. Um, but very shortly after that, as the war continued on, they began to draft uh, people and draft black men into the Army, into what was called the, what was a segregated Army. And my father and many of his fellow uh, uh, comrades were sent down to Mississippi. And in Mississippi, uh, they met, the ugly brick wall of racism and and it you know there were many times when their lives were threatened just because they had the uniform on and uh, my father told us many stories of of what happened to him and what almost happened to him and the riot that broke out at the uh, base because the black soldiers uh their um their weekend pass was canceled in order for them to clean the latrines of the white soldiers. Jeez. And so they rebelled and they started a riot that lasted for three days. And uh, his mother wrote Eleanor Roosevelt. Incredible. Did she, did she, she ever? Uh, she, wrote Eleanor, she wrote Eleanor Roosevelt and told her what was happening with her son because there were other, many other atrocities that we don't even have time to go into that happened to my father. You know, one time he was marching with his uh, fellow soldiers uh, and they came across a field and they, in order to keep from going into the swamp, they wanted to march across that field. And the farmer came out with a shotgun and said, you niggas ain't marching across my field. Hmm. Unreal. So later that night, my father and some of his friends went back and burned down his barn. <laughs> I hate laughing, but to good for them. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, um, so 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 the, the uh, his mother sends this letter to Eleanor Roosevelt. A few days later, a train comes in uh, when the riot is almost uh, you know ending, and they put all the black soldiers on this train and ship them out. And so, you know, of course we all feel that Eleanor Roosevelt might have had something to do with that. That is an amazing story, uh, Aaron Dixon. That, that is just incredible. I uh, just had a very good friend of mine. He was 80 years old named Dave Morton. Passed. Dave was a white guy. Uh, a real beatnik artist and mystic who was uh, arrested. He was one of the Freedom Riders that went down in Mississippi uh, with a bunch of other uh, folks from from Minneapolis on buses and uh, uh, whether their fair share of abuse. But I remember as a child, my mother, uh, she was separated from my father for about six months and she took uh, three of us kids in a car and we took a tour down south to visit her brother who was stationed in Alabama. And I'll, I will never forget, Aaron, driving into the state border of Mississippi, and there was a huge billboard, uh, and it said, you are now entering KKK country. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and it was really... Oh, my God, that must have been- 
scary. It was very okay. scary. And, you know, we were, God, I was, what, uh, 12 years old, 1968. We were aware of what was going on around the country, but to actually see it now face-to-face, it, it went beyond from just thinking about it to starting to feel it. So uh, I really... Yeah. Really appreciate these stories. We've got uh, Aaron Dixon on for the whole show tonight. Uh, Aaron, you're sh- shedding some great lights on on your political awakening, and God bless your your mother and your father and your grandmother. That great uh, letter to Eleanor Roosevelt. That's an amazing story. And we're going to get into uh, now how how Mr. Dixon got involved with the Black Panthers, and he's got a book called My People Are Rising, a memoir of a Black Panther captive, and we'll find out how we can order that book, and we'll be back in just a little bit. Say, Brother Richard, what, man? Look at that black brother looking so mean. Look like he's carrying a can of gasoline. Listen, brother, let me pull your coat. That's no way to have a black revolt. See that brother across the street selling those Muhammad speeches? Go talk to him. Let him run it down. Don't try to burn up half the town. Uh Uh-oh. Here comes the man. And you standing here with that can in your hand. Drop it, brother! Welcome back to the third set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest tonight, uh, an incredible storyteller and man, Aaron Dixon. He wrote a book called My People Are Rising, a memoir of a black Panther captain just telling us a story about uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and his dad uh, who was stationed in Mississippi. So, Aaron, uh, tell us uh, more of that story. So, when my my father is shipped out uh, and he's shipped to the Pacific Theater and he ends up in the Philippines fighting and battle after battle after battle, uh, there's a story he told us. He, He sees a young Japanese He's walking through the jungle. He sees another. He sees a Japanese soldier, and they both uh, take aim at each other. My father gets up the first shot. He runs to his side, and he sees a. He sees, he pulls his wallet out, and he sees a picture of the Japanese man and his wife and his uh, child. Oh. And so he tries to he tries to patch him up as best as he could. Mm. Um, and eventually he ends up in uh, Okinawa, the Battle of Okinawa, and he sees a Marine, a white Marine, cut the breast off of a Japanese, a dead Japanese boy. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, and my father loses it. He loses it. He takes his weapon, and he tries to shoot the Marine. His fellow soldiers stop him. He's so distraught over what he saw that he goes AWOL. Hmm. Uh, and ends up in um, in in, Korea, in South Korea, and eventually he comes back. And of course, now he's forever changed because before that he was gung ho. He wanted to serve his country. He wanted to serve the military. But when he saw that atrocity, that totally changed his view of how he felt about the country. And that's when when he came back, he starts getting involved with Paul Robinson. This is such that's such a harrowing story and, and such a terrifically tough image to understand. But uh, God bless your father for having that uh, morality uh, to not only witness that, do what he was going to do, and, and to go AWOL. This is uh, 
Thank you for being so honest in sharing these stories. Uh, it it is really it says a lot about your father. Yeah, he was a great man. He was my hero. Now he comes back to the U.S. and then he he witnesses the murder of uh, Emmett Till. Hmm. And now, when you say when, when, when you say witnesses, you mean firsthand or through the media or how? No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He he is there. In Chicago, when this incident happens with Emmett Till, and his, and his mother brings his body back to Chicago and decides to have a open casket uh, funeral. Well, my father wrote a poem about about Emmett Till, and it was it was a beautiful poem. It's in, it's in my book, and I memorized that poem uh, when I was in elementary school, and I sometimes would take that poem to school and read it. Can you recite it now? I can recite, let me see what I can remember. Deep in the heart of Dixie, where the cotton blooms in June, an old black man tills his field, humming a sad, sad tune. Oh, why did they have to kill him and and beat him that way? Um, that's 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 all I can remember. I'm trying to find a copy of my book, and I could uh, read, read it to you, but I don't even have a copy of my book here. But anyway. That that's only what I can still remember of that poem. Well, let's. Uh, this would be a good point, uh, Aaron Dixon, to tell people um, they'd love to hear the rest of that poem and your story. So you wrote your book. It came out in 2012. It's called "My People Are Rising: A Memoir of a Black Panther Captain." How can they uh, purchase that book off your website, Amazon? Let us know how. You can you can go to uh, Haymarket Books and order it, and you can also get it off of, uh, from Amazon. Or you can go to your and uh, and ask them to order it if they don't have it. Hmm. So, tell us now, uh, tell us now, Aaron Dixon, how you got involved with the Black Panther Party. Um, the way that I got involved in the Black Panther Party, I was uh, I was a student at the University of Washington. And what year was and that? I was, what year, Aaron? It's, I was a student. I was a student at the University of Washington, nineteen sixty-seven, and uh, there were only thirty black students there. And we formed the first black student union at the University of Washington, and we started doing a lot of work in the community. And uh, we we closed down this high school because of some racist activities. And um, and we ended up getting arrested uh, for for that demonstration. And uh, th- this was April fourth when we all got arrested, the leaders of the uh, BSU, and we're sitting up in the King County Jail. And then Walter Conkright comes on and announces that Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Hmm. And uh, that was that was extremely devastating news. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, of course, riots start breaking out all over the country. The hardest part about that was that we were, damn, that poem from my father. The baddest part about it is we were, uh, confined while a rebellion was taking place, uh, all over the country and we wanted to be out there. Um, but I remember that night, I remember going back to my bunk that night and I remember saying to myself, 
that my picket sign was going to be replaced by the gun. <laughs> and after, uh, after, um, after we got out of jail, we went down to Oakland and, um, and there was a black student union conference that was being held at that time at San Francisco State College. And Bobby Seale came over and gave the keynote address. And uh, we made a bullet line to him, me and my brother, and Anthony Ware, another comrade. And uh, a week later, he came to Seattle and formed the first chapter of the Black Panther Party outside of the state of California in hmm. Seattle. We were the first chapter outside of California. And I was appointed as captain at 19 years old. Wow. So how many in, in uh, the Black Panther uh, group in Seattle, how many of there were you? Well, within the first three weeks, we took over 300 applications. Hmm. Uh, so we had, you know, in those first, that first month, we had membership of about 300. Hmm. Um, but, um, you know, the Black Panther Party was a very disciplined organization. It had a lot of rules, and you had, um, you know, a lot of things that were required of you. And so um, eventually that, 300 narrowed down to maybe about 50. So what was, what did the application, what questions were asked on that? This is fascinating. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't even remember. Okay. You know, I, basic stuff, you know, basic stuff, um, you know, name, address, what do you want to do, what do you want to be? Well, and I suppose you know, the first question, you had to be black, right? I mean... Or, 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 well, actually, no. Oh, no, that wasn't, oh, that cool. wasn't the main criteria. All because right. we had Japanese in Seattle. We had two Japanese members of the Black Panther Party, and we had also had a Filipino member. That's incredible. Yes, yeah. Mike, Mike Tagawa, who came back from Vietnam, he grew and you know, in, in, in Seattle, in the black community, we were segregated with Japanese, Filipinos, and Chinese. Mm-hmm. So we okay. all grew up together, and we all knew each other, and we all were familiar with each other. So um, Mike Tagawa became, uh, he was a Vietnam veteran. He became one of our lieutenants in the uh, Seattle chapter of the Black Panther Party. So then did you, uh, did you folks travel down to Oakland uh, for strategy sessions or... or- take part in uh, any protests yeah. down there? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I had to, well, I had to, the first week after I had been appointed, I had to go to Oakland. I had to spend a week down there. I had to go see Huey Newton in Alameda County Jail. Uh, I had to go out and sell papers. I went to a uh, Black Panther Party Central Committee meeting with Bobby Seale and David Hilliard's chief of staff and Stokely Carmichael, who had just been drafted into the party, and Don Cox, the field marshal of the Black Panther Party. And um, there was uh, a couple of days later, there was an incident where uh, myself and about four or five Panthers had gone down to West Oakland to get something to eat. Uh, um, We got in a confrontation with some police. Uh, We all had our uniforms on. We all were, were carrying our weapons. And uh, we ended up in a standoff with about 10 uh, Oakland police officers. Um, It got so tense, all the businesses closed down. Everybody left the street. And you could hear people shouting, there's going to be a shootout. Uh, And pretty soon, the only people who were there on the streets was me and my comrades and, uh, and 10 
police officers from the Oakland Police Department who wanted to search us, and we refused to let them search us. And it was a very tense outfit, almost ended up in a shootout. But the police, you could tell that they had more fear than we did because we were, we were not going to let them search us. We were not going to let them take our guns. And um, our, our three of the brothers that was with me who were in the Black Panther Party were Vietnam veterans. So it was, it was a moment that really made me a Black Panther Party member. Uh, uh, that that night on on Seventh and Wood, this was the same corner that hit Huey a couple of years earlier. Had had a shootout a year earlier. Had had a shootout with Oakland police officers and ended up uh, in hospital and eventually uh, jail. So that trip was uh, I learned a lot. I knew what it took to be a Black Panther Party member. That uh, you know that, uh, any day that you you, you could be your day to die and that uh we uh you know we were gonna fight and we were gonna defend ourselves and we were not afraid of the police we were not afraid of dying and we had dedicated ourselves we learned that you know being a revolutionary was you you gave up everything you sacrificed everything you gave up your family you gave up you know many of us were college students you you gave up your college uh dream of going to college and you dedicated your days and your nights to being a member of the Black Panther Party. Aaron Dixon, this is just uh, some phenomenal background history and story. We're going to have one more set with Mr. Dixon. I think we're going to have him uh, as a semi-regular guest on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. And we'll be back uh, after these messages. From the Indians... Welcome to Pilgrims, yes, and to the Buffaloes that once ruled the plain. Like the vultures are circling beneath the dark clouds, looking for the rain. Well, and been looking for the rain. Just like city headed stagger on the coastline living in a nation it just can't take much more welcome back to the last set on the wall and power radio hour this is your host paul metza i've so enjoyed speaking with my guests tonight aaron dixon wrote a book called my people are rising a memoir of a black panther party captain aaron you spoke about uh Emmett Till earlier in that uh, powerful uh, poem that uh, you're going to read at the end of uh, the show tonight that your father wrote. And it's there's so many comparisons, and it's such a terrifically horrible circle or straight line from, from Emmett Till to George Floyd uh, with everything else in between. What did you feel like when you first heard about what happened in Minneapolis with the murder of George Floyd? Well, I felt, uh, well, I, the rage has always been there, uh, for me, but I was overwhelmed with rage when I saw that video. I started, uh, yelling. I started banging on things. Uh, I, I just became so angry and so furious. Uh, you know, tears came to my eyes. 
and I, I felt like I was at a point um, where, you know, I, I can't take this no more. I, I felt like that poem that my father wrote about Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. It was so similar, the same rage and the same feeling of despair and the, and the feeling of helplessness and the feeling of, of you know, we, we can't take this anymore. And, uh, and you know, that's that, those are the things that I felt. And I, I, I wrote a post and posted it because I have been, and so many of us have been seeing so many videos of black people being shot and killed and beaten. And, and, and I've always wondered, you know, why, why aren't we taking action instead of just, just filming? And so I, I wrote a post and I, I really talked about the rage and the anger, uh, that we had in the sixties. And I was wondering, where is that rage? Where is that compassion that we had 50 years ago? You know, how come it has not emerged? And, and I, and, and I also stated that, you know, you're, if you don't, if you just stand by and watch something like that happens and you're not willing to do anything about it. And I said, you ain't, I said, you ain't, if you continue to watch this happen and lo and behold, Three, two to three days later, that rage that I had been looking for in young people came. It came and it exploded, and it's been going on for two or three weeks. And then to see so many white people come out, and for the first time, for the first time, we've been telling white people for so many years about the brutality that has been heaped upon black people and, and nobody believes us. Nobody wanted to do anything. Nobody that people just did not pay any attention to it. Um, but that all changed with the, uh, with the murder of, uh, of Floyd, you know, uh, it, it, it created a shift in the consciousness of the American people, uh, where people finally have said, we have had enough. We have got to have police reform. We have, we cannot allow this to happen. We're not going to allow this to happen anymore. And so it's been an incredible, incredible, powerful three weeks of watching these young people and these white people and all people coming together, not just in this country, but all over the world. It's even sparked other countries in places like Brazil, who has far worse police brutality than we have to start looking at their police brutality and start demanding justice for themselves. Even in Mexico, where Mexican demonstrators were were um, having rallies in support of Black Lives Matter, it turned into a riot against the police because a young Mexican boy was killed while in police custody. So now they're demanding, uh, you know, police reform in Mexico. And, and they're doing the same thing in, in, in the U.K., uh, and all over the world, so it's just been it's just been it's just been so uplifting and so tremendous to see what's going on uh, today. Well, Aaron Dixon, thanks to people like you, thanks to the Black Panther Party who kept this alive fifty years ago. Thanks to Paul Robeson, thanks to Harriet Tubman, uh, thanks to. Uh, the powerful people and souls all over the world that are keeping the memory and the injustice of the murder of George Floyd alive. Uh, this has been an incredible interview. Uh, if I can ask you uh, to end Aaron Dixon, and we will stay in touch, to read that great poem your father wrote about Emmett Till 
And that's how we'll end this episode of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Deep in the heart of Dixie, where the cotton blooms in June, an old black man tills the field, humming a sad, sad tune. His heart was heavy. His eyes were full. His body aching and sore. I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. My heart can't take it no more. They took a little Negro boy and chopped and smashed his eye. They tormented, teased, and cut out and cut him up just to make him die. They tore off an ear when he shed a tear, and they beat him to they beat him in the face. Each mark and scar was symbolic of suffering by the Negro race. They threw him in the river, his hands and legs all bound, hoping that his body would never be found. The river current surged and splashed to free its mangled prey, but it didn't matter anymore, for it was Emma Till's judgment day. The two white men who did these things are free to laugh and kill. Now, my God, I pray to you, avenge for Emma Till. The hate and evil in this world is something sad to see. Why, O oh Lord, do they hate us so? Why can't we all be free? The children played on the courtroom floor. The grounds, grown-ups drank cold beer. They laughed and joked and enjoyed themselves like they had no God to fear. I'll never forget you, Emma Till, and how you horribly died. I'll never forget the smiling jurors. And how, and how the lawyers lied. Well, Emmett's gone. Ain't nothing to do but push this white man's plow. I guess little Emmett's made his peace because he's with his father now. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Pat Lilia, and want to thank our guest, Aaron Dixon. Get his book, My People Are Rising, a memoir of a Black Panther Party captain. I want to also thank my friend Pat Thomas, who wrote a book called Listen, Whitey, Sounds of the Black Power Movement from 1965 to 1975. Rare recordings, speeches and interviews, and music. Track that one down as well. You can see what I'm up to at paulmetza.com. If you'd like to support what I'm doing here on the radio, there's a Venmo and PayPal account there. We hope everybody's staying strong and positive to the memory of George Floyd. This show is dedicated. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. 